You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahraven.com. Welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange, the podcast of me, Sarah Raven, and Arthur Parkinson. And today we're going to chat about something that we've talked about before, which are alliums, but there are so many new ones coming out that I find really exciting that I just couldn't resist uh, chatting about them again. Bear with us if you've heard some of them before, but they are the summer spectacle firework display plant. You just can't beat them. What are your new favourites, Arthur? Perhaps as well as old, old my, my stalwarts. New, my new favourite isn't one I thought I'd like because in, in catalogues it looks, I don't know, almost man-made. But Early Emperor, I've really appreciated this oh, summer. Oh, great. Because it was the first one. And it, of course, the name gives the clue. It is very early. And um, it was such a dense, lovely disco ball. And I planted it beneath our window so we could look see it, see it looking out from the living room. And um, did about seven of them spaced out. Huge leaves, which like all alliums, as we'll talk about, you can take off once they look ratty and past their best. Mm. But the flowers were honestly getting on, for, you know, five foot. And so early, earlier than all the others. So I um, really oh, like that one. Huge, try that huge again. stinky bulb to plant, but worth the effort of, of making that big planting hole. So I hope it comes back next year. No, it should do. They're pretty perennial, I think. Mm. I mean, particularly your soil is quite freely drained, isn't it? So yeah. that should be pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Well, my new favorite is crazy and it's called Summer Drummer. And I think it's because it looks like a drumstick, but it's a drumstick. Literally, I'm not exaggerating, seven foot in the air. Hmm. And the garden was open last week and I was asked about this plant more than any other and I was kind of amazed because it's not showing any colour yet. So it's it's a really mid to late summer flower. So, you know, that's good in itself because it extends the allium season. But it stands well above my head. And it is just amazing. This huge, almost like looks like a massive giant's leek with this rocket straight up of sort of silvery grey stem topped with this big sort of arrowhead pointy bud. And it's just the most statuesque thing. It looks really fantastic, rocketing up through the roses at the moment. And I'm definitely going to plant more of those every year from now on. Just a few every autumn to just, you know, have that incredible verticality through the garden, scattered sort of quite willy-nilly in groups of five or seven. Uh, It's quite pricey, but I think it's really worth it. And we put some in last year and they've come back really good and look like they're naturalizing. One or two seem to have babies next door to the original bulb. So yeah, Summer Drummer's my new fave rave. Others, Arthur? Um, I love Forlock. Ah. That's um, at my mum's house, and um, that's been coming back now for about four years. And it's so tall. It's not as tall as one you've just been talking about, but it's, it's again, probably a cousin of that one. And I like it because it, it starts off, it looks like um, just an, any normal allium head, but then it fuzzes out. And it keeps this lovely black currant marbled, almost like mulberry purple. And um, I love that because it's reaching up into the, the lowest branches of these crabapple trees we've got. 
Mm. And so at the moment, we've got the complement of these lovely blackcurrant alliums with the first of the little crab apple fruits. So that looks really picturesque and lovely. Mm. Um, the other one I've loved, which isn't out yet, but I'm hoping it, it will come out and I'm hoping it will be as nice as the photo in the catalogue is Red Marican. Mm. I've only seen that at Chelsea Flower Show and in, in the catalogue, so I'm looking forward to that. So I, I was going to come on to Red Mohican because it's a funny thing. Jonathan Buckley, the photographer that we work with, had said that he'd been photographing it just recently. Mm. And I took him to show him what I think is Red Mohican in the garden. And the reason I love it is that it's got this croquet hoop at the top. And so it's got this really amazing, interesting architectural shape, which has got the stem comes up, but then the head hangs down and sometimes even turns up again. So it's it's sort of almost like a shepherd's crook um, right. in shape. And apparently that's because it, that's how it hangs its head. And I don't know why evolutionarily, but anyway, then as it opens, it lifts its head and becomes vertical. Right. And you get these sort of... Hoops. It, well, yeah, it's, it's a hoop, but right. then it brings it up into the vertical. And I think it's called Mohican because the globe is kind of black currant. It's not so purple. It's more a sort of deep, rich crimson. And it has these tufts, uh, like a sort of Mohican, coming out the top. Anyway, I rather like Summer Drummer. I just love it for that really strong vertical presence in the garden right, you know, now in, in midsummer and uh, yet to open with me, but really wonderful, unusual plant. And I mean, we all know that Purple Sensation is an absolute stunning plant. We all know that Christophia, or perhaps we don't, but it gives you the most incredible value because it's field pollinated. So it's really a bargain, completely perennially, and you'll get globes the size of a football. But hmm. these these other new ones give you something very different. It's not so much for their flower. It's for this, you know, really punchy vertical lines through a garden, which I'm so keen on in terms of design, whether it's your foxglove or your eremurus or, or your linaria that we were talking about last week, you know, your tall toad flexes. I, I think these allium stems just add something so valuable and and sort of architectural to a garden. Um, I love them. Where, where are they being bred? Have you been to the trial fields in Holland to see to see the alliums? Is it like the tulip bull breeding? Funnily enough, yes, I have been uh, quite a long time ago now with my Dutch friend, Corinne. And the, yeah, exactly. Mm. I mean, it, it, there aren't nearly as many, of course, but and there are people who specialise in allium breeding. And I, I, I have a feeling because I've seen wild leeks on the Cornish coast when I was doing the wildflower book with Jonathan these wild leeks were standing eight, nine foot tall by the time they came into flower. And I think there must have been some of the genes of the wild leek bred into these oh. new garden alliums. And the thing yes. that also I've noticed, because Josie, has a, a the head gardener at Perchill, has an absolute, not even love-hate, just hate relationship with most alliums because they they do both divide and self-seed so much and their leaves, as you mentioned, are so sort of chunky and messy that they actually canopy out yeah. over, you know, more delicate plants. But what I've noticed with these, you know, whether it be a red Mohican or forelock or summer drummer, is that the foliage seems to be finer, but also it dies back much mm. quicker 
And so the balance between the impact of, of these architectural stems and their leaves is is in their favor, I would say. So yeah. that's the, the other thing that I'm just so keen on them for. And I mean, we can't, can't not mention a couple of others. I mean, the, the other one that I'm really obsessed by that, again, has been newly bred uh, is called Magic. And it has this same crazy thing, which is that stems just have these wonderful curves and twists in them. So they don't rock it up in a, in a vertical straight line. They twist here and there. And I really love that. It's one of the things I love about lupins is the twist that you mm. often get with them. And Allium Magic is like a sort of mini Shibertii, which is, of course, the one that's the size of three footballs, can be. I mean, it's massive. It's the size of a pillow. But uh, with Magic, it's smaller. But it has that thing of some flowers being close to the heart and some being starry and right out on the horizon. So it gives you this shuttle very... Shuttlecock-like exactly. shape, isn't it? Yeah. I haven't took it out of the garden yet because it's just it's still got a little bit of purple left in it. But um, I'm glad you explained the stem because I can't wait to dry it. I, I'm hoping yes. I'm going to get at least a dozen and I can't wait to have them in a big vase yes. you know, for Christmas, sprayed gold. And I, I, I've got to try and find out what it is. There must mm. be something evolutionarily, which is that maybe they ping upwards because they find seed distribution easier. But I, I'm not sure. Anyway, they definitely start bent and then... Because they're new varieties, aren't they? They all used to be straight up. Yeah. And now suddenly there's, as we've said, about almost half a dozen. Yeah. That suddenly the breeders are going, oh, we quite like this. Yeah. Well, Welsh onions, which of course are in the same family, Mm. I mean, they have that kind of crook neck uh, look to them. So yeah, there's definitely some wild genetics of these edible or, or wild alliums being bred into these new ones and and that's exciting i mean it's so exciting what you can do with plants when you kind of look at one and think oh i'm going to have that characteristic from that one and this characteristic from this one and the, the great thing about shibertii which we we must before we finish talk about alliums as christmas decorations and dried flower arrangements but allium shibertii has a honey scent and actually what i found is is um i picked some magic a, a few days ago and I was expecting it to be pongy and oniony, but it wasn't. Again, it was sweet. So I guess that's one of the things is that they're drawing in the pollinators, aren't they? Mm. And they are spectacularly good for bees, particularly. And the the um, the wild shade garlic, the one called Nectoscordum or Allium bulgaricum or Sicilium, that is the busiest uh, with bees of any plant in the garden in May. It's just spectacular. I, I was cycling past allotments yesterday and I, as I always do most days, and there was a whole bed of leeks that had been left from Christmas and no one had picked them. And I was really excited because each one had a lovely promising flower bud. Mm. And yesterday I cycled by and someone in their wisdom had just pulled every single one up and they're all in a pile no. um, just before they're about to flower. But uh, do you ever grow leeks for their flower? Is it yes. just, yeah, because it's yeah. exactly the same as Allium, isn't it, for the bees? Well, they're, they're, they're sort of silvery grey and mm. very pale mauve. And actually that brings me on to another one that I want to talk about, but we'll come back to that. So no, very much so. I always try and sow three times as many leeks as we want to eat. So then uh, what I think of is I actually eat twice. I love leeks, so I'd actually want twice as many anyway. Mm. So so I'll eat one lot and then I'll be jolly glad there's a second lot. But the third lot I'll then leave to flower. And they're a biennial. So from sowing them in 
last year. They'll be flowering this summer or, or spring. And leaving a few to do that is is just spectacular. And they rock it. You know, they get really, really, really tall. Mm. And that's how you'll see them, of course, in the wild, you know. And funnily enough, that, that brings me on to something that um, I don't know if you remember that wonderful home cook called Clarissa Dixon Wright. Oh, yeah. Uh, who was one of the two fat ladies. And I remember her teaching me such a good tip about how to chop onions in the kitchen. And the reason I find it so memorable is I absolutely adore Crete and a lockdown has meant that I haven't gone for a long time, but I, I adore it. And in the spring particularly, the whole place is covered in wild alliums. And when you're cutting an onion, uh, traditionally what one does is one cuts off you know, the root and the tip and then peels it and then chops it. But what Clarissa taught me is you always leave the tip intact because that is what makes your eyes water more than ah. anywhere else in the bulb. And so you should always leave that, even as you're chopping, you leave that intact and it holds the whole thing together. But of course, it makes sense about the onion smell and and the thing that makes our eyes water. Because if you're a goat and you're eating an onion while you're grazing across the mountains of Crete, if you associate eating that thing with stingy eyes, of course, you won't eat it again. So then it, it will then set seed and reproduce. And you try it when you, when you go home and you chop an onion, leave the tip intact and you can chop an onion without getting watery eyes. And even if you do, or stingy eyes, they, it won't be nearly as bad. And that is why evolutionarily they, they have their, most of their sulfur, which is what I think is, is so acrid, is actually at the tip of the plant, not the base. And it makes complete sense, doesn't mm. it? Anyway, I said I wanted to mention another one in the sort of softer colours, because we've mainly talked about the purples. But we've had one on trial at Perch Hill this summer, which is called Eros. And then I think it's called something like Rosy Dreams. And it's a very soft pink. It's a globe maybe that fills the palm of my hand. So it's, you know, more modest in scale. But what I've found is that they're starting to dry on the plant. And it's sort of a third of the individual florets, which of course an allium is made up of hundreds of different little flowers, have started to dry, but rather than going brown, they're going this rather beautiful washed out white, sort of silvery white. And so you've got this mix of white, silver and pink, which is the rosy dreams colour. And it's absolutely beautiful. So I picked a whole lot actually at the weekend and I've put them just dry in a vase in the side of the room. And I reckon those are going to just dry so elegantly and they will gradually, the pink will fade and the pigment will go. But I think they're going to be a fantastic mm. uh, sort of winter decoration to um, really gradually fade with elegance and keep that architectural thing. And so maybe that's what we'll end with, Arthur, is just talking about Christmas decorations from Alliums. Because I know yeah. you, you last year, you dried hundreds, didn't you? I did. You? Yeah, Christophei mainly from a beam in a barn. And um, I then sold them uh, mm -hmm. because it's just so nice. I mean, I'd, I'd always dried them and I thought, oh, I'm going to try and dry enough because the thing is, don't underestimate how many you're going to want yourself. That's yeah. the thing. Once you've, you know, got your silver birch or your wires up above your mantelpiece, you will want a good half dozen, if not 12, to really give it gobstopper uh, glamour. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, you know, do take the time to start, as soon as they start to go brown and look autumnal in the garden, take them out the garden somewhere airy and dry, hang them upside down. And then once they're really dry, bin bag them and put them up in the attic. But don't leave them in a damp shed to go mouldy. That's, yeah. that's the key thing. And that's where I think people go wrong. Yeah. You know, if they go mouldy, they, they just, they're not going to work. So a sunny greenhouse is ideal. I used to go, the, I used to dry them in the greenhouse at the Bridgewater factory. Mm. And then they'd go up into a spare room and then out they'd come in in November. And actually there, I did exactly the same thing. I'd saved almost a hundred. Yes. And so the whole cafe <laughs> one winter, you know, I just dangled them from the ceiling. Florist wire, I find your best friend with them because the problem is quite often the stem uh, mm, dries rot. fine, but then the entire mm. flower goblet just drops off the, the stem. Yes. So you then have to find a way of either placing it into branches where it easily nestles in, or if you want to hang them, you will often, you know, I said florist wire, but actually that's going to be too tough to, it'll just break the, the dried uh, flower stems. So you'll probably have to get a needle and thread and some very fine cotton to hang them. Yeah. But I promise you, it's so it's so well worth doing. I'm surprised the posh garden centres haven't cottoned on to what people are willing to pay for these things because yeah. they look so incredible. But thankfully, they haven't. There must there must not be someone who's willing to <laughs> to farm these things and dry them. So it's something you have to do yourself. But it's well worth the effort. And I'd like to finish with just saying that that's one of the reasons we wanted to talk about it today is not only can you actually start to plant alliums now, but don't if you've got them already in your garden, don't forget to bring the seed heads in. Because mm. if you leave it much longer and we get much more rainfall, they just turn to mush or they blow away and kind of, you know, they just, they disappear. And then just the final thing, I know we're not talking about Christmas yet because it's quite a way uh. off, but Arthur has great arguments with his partner about a fir Christmas tree or not <laughs> fir Christmas tree. And I would say, I think a fir Christmas tree is lovely if it has alliums on it. I agree with Arthur that silver birch is somehow more sustainable and more elegant and ethereal and beautiful in many ways. But actually for alliums, the fir thing, meeting the allium craziness, you can just throw them at your Christmas tree. And really, honestly, you don't need much else on it apart from a few lights, perhaps. And, and that will give you completely free Christmas decorations and look absolutely spectacular. And one year, we literally just did silver alliums and lights and, and it looked wonderful. Thanks so much for listening to our Allium Passion. And next week, we're going to talk about sowing meadows. So Arthur's really passionate about perennial meadows with things like oregano. And I'm really passionate about annual meadows, whether it be wildflower meadows and yellow rattle and flowery loveliness or annual meadows with cornflowers and corn poppies and nigellas and things. So join us next week, because now is the time to be sowing lots of these things. You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahoven.com.